Man, I, I, this morning I was saying it was really, I'm grateful for you all showing up and you being here. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to space your chairs wherever you want and feel comfortable. And, uh, but I also want to give a shout out to everyone who watches us online. And I want to encourage you, like when we were just doing it online, JJ was encouraging everyone to go ahead and write your comments in as, you're, as things are going on. And Karen is usually over here on her phone kind of uh, answering those comments and kind of filtering them and different things. Not really filtering them. There's nothing. Nothing really had to be filtered yet, but <laughs> don't, don't make a start. But anyways, I'm grateful that for the coronavirus that, dude, there's people that would never be able to uh, be a part of this church and be a part of this fellowship and family that are there. Like I'm thinking right now of my nephew in Orlando who's watching faithfully every week. There's people up north that are some of our uh, people that are here during the wintertime and they're here off and on. And So anyways, it's kind of cool. Everything that God does is good, and it's just kind of cool when you look at life from his perspective. So I do want to tell you guys, man, thank you. And the only reason we're wearing microphones is not for these folks in here, but it's for you guys. We love you, and we know that you've had a hard time trying to hear us, and we're making improvements all the time. And got some new roadies here kind of working on some stuff, right, Bob? And uh, new speakers. So anyways, it's all for you guys because we love you. Just as much as everyone who's here. So we're all just one family. I can't wait to get to heaven. And we're just going to party together and worship him. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you. All right. Hey, so um, this morning, uh, I got to talk to my son. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Linda, it was only because I called him. All right. But uh, uh, well, I was getting ready to come to church and get ready, you know, uh, getting ready to make my drive up from Fort Pierce or down from Fort Pierce. And he had sent me a text and like, well, actually, I just had a thing pop up that said, there's a gift card on Amazon for you. I'm like, what? And, uh, uh, and I looked, it was from my son. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, because he actually sent me a birthday present, but it was like, I wasn't expecting anything there. And so it was like, send a thank you. So I sent the Amazon one, but then he, you know, I texted him and said, thank you. And I just felt really when he texted me back that it was just a good time to call and talk. And my son doesn't talk a lot, usually. He's kind of one of the quiet ones. He's one guy that thinks he has to figure it all out before he can say anything. Like, he has to have all the answers. He's just not a talker. How many of you all are quiet you're just not a talker? Yeah, you, you relate to that, right? Yeah, okay, one of you twins is like this, the other one's like, yeah, sort of. You guys aren't talkers, all right? <laughs> but anyways, so I just felt really led of the Lord to call him. And man, what a sweet conversation we had about just things going on in his life and our life, and, and, and it had nothing to do with coronavirus, because that doesn't affect a farmer just outside of Dothan, Alabama. Now, my son, he grew up, like, skateboarding in Orlando when I was a youth pastor, man. He was riding vert ramps when he was, like, what, six, seven years old, and got scars to prove it. And he got here, and everybody called him Matt Shredrick. Our last name's Shredrick. They're like, oh, Matt Shredrick. He's a, they would give him all the set waves. Dude, that song, they give all the set waves that are out there. He was everybody's little brother. They didn't think he'd take off. And all of a sudden, he'd drop out. We'd wait for his board. And all of a sudden, he's riding. He pops out like, ah, go shot. He grew up surfing, grew up diving, grew up, you know, I mean, free diving and spirit, all kinds of things there. And he went up and fell in love with a girl from Eufaula, Alabama. Now, when you fall in love with a girl from Eufaula, Alabama, where do you think you end up? You fall out. Well, close to it. So, but he fell in love with farming. And it's like, so he's a farmer, and he just bought his own cows. He has some cows that he owns. Now, he runs a herd for some other folks, but he bought, him and his wife bought some cows, and he got them all pregnant. They're all, I mean, well, <laughs> he, he's learned about this whole artificial insemination and all this. Dude, because he said, if you got a heifer that ain't pregnant, she's costing you money. So you can figure all that out, but... He's learned all this stuff about farming and ranching and cattle and growing stuff. And it's just cool to listen to him talk, you know, because I think he's, what, 25? Is that how old he is? Yeah, and, and 1995 he was born. But, man, it's just kind of cool to listen to everything he's saying. So I was like this morning, hey, so how's your cotton going, Matt? Because they grow a lot of cotton up in that area, a lot of peanuts. He said... He said, not very good. And I'm like, well, why is your cotton not doing very good? And he said, because we didn't plant any. <laughs> He's an Alabama farmer. That's his sense of humor now, all right? And that's all good. But yeah, so why isn't your cotton doing good? We didn't plant any. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, makes sense. And then I started thinking about what I'm preaching on today. You reap what you sow. 
And if you want a different harvest, like Zane, I promise, Zane and I, he had no idea really where I was going with this message. I didn't know until God gave it to me. We don't plan these things with the songs, but what he said is exactly right. The world's looking for a different harvest right now, but they're planting the same crop. Some of us are looking for a different harvest. We want a different result in life. We want a different scenario. But in order to get a different harvest, you've got to plant a what? A different crop. Why ain't your cotton doing very good? We didn't plant any. Why isn't your walk with Jesus doing very good? Well, I didn't plant any. Why isn't this? Why do we keep getting this? Because that's what we're planting. And today, as we finish up the third chapter of, um, of, of, of the book of James, he brings us into a section where he talks about two kinds of wisdom. And, and he said there's only two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom from above. And you have a choice. Whichever one you serve, whichever one you represent, whichever one you live in, whichever crop you plant, he tells us exactly what we're going to get at harvest. So I asked my son, I said, so what are you planting? Because all last week he was kind of, you know, when he did call for a birthday, he was like, yeah, man, I've just been working from sunup till past sundown, and we're harvesting hay right now. We're baling hay, baling hay. And anybody here, farmer ever, no farmers, baling hay, that's hard work, isn't it? Especially in, dude, they don't even have a sea breeze where they live, man. It's like just hard. They're just outside Dothan, Alabama is where his farm is. And so they're, they're doing hay, and I was like, well, son, so why, what are you planting now? And he's like, well, you know, we decided against cotton because when Hurricane Michael, right, that's the one that went up the Panhandle, when it came through, they lost all of their cotton at the end of summer. He said, it's too risky. And we thought we'd plant again next year because there'd be a shortage of cotton, but guess what? Nobody wants cotton anymore. Y'all are buying all them fake polyester t-shirts now. No, I'm just saying. Why, why? Nobody wants cotton anymore. And so there's no cotton market. And he said, well, it's just not worth it to plant cotton because there's, it's too risky. There's no value in it. There's, there, so, so now we've switched over. I said, what are you planting? He's like, well, we're growing hay because now we can feed our cows. We can sell the hay. Everybody's buying hay. And we're going to grow peanuts because there's a value in that. So basically, they're deciding what they're going to grow based on the value of the harvest. That's just business, that you do it in your own business. But we seem to sometimes not do it in our own life. We just kind of just plant whatever comes our way, wherever our emotions go. Whoever takes that rubber ball and we're like a dog. How many of y'all know you're like a dog? And all somebody's got to do is throw a little rubber ball and you go chase it. Yeah, you know, that's what happens. And God is always encouraging us to think. He's always encouraging us to see it from his perspective because no matter what, we reap what we sow. So if they're planting, if they're planting peanuts, what do you think they're going to harvest? Yeah. That, why is it so hard in our life to understand that? You know, when we plant the world's wisdom into our life and all of a sudden we reap crop failure, man. We, we, we reap corruption. We reap problems. Why is that so hard for us to understand when we can understand it in our own gardens? And he's going to kind of tell us a little bit of that today. So remember, you reap what you sow. And if you want a different harvest, you've got to plant a different what? You've got it. And that's in your own life. So everybody is sowing something. This is where we're at. Now, again, in the book of James, he was the brother. Who was his, his stepbrother? Jesus. Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. How many of y'all grew up with a, with a perfect, Brianna, you ever grew up with a perfect sister? Do you have any perfect siblings? Or was she the perfect sibling? Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and, I mean, Emily claims that she's the best one out of everyone, and, and they'll even agree, you know. But, but Jesus, James actually grew up with a perfect sibling. The dude never did anything wrong if something was broken, and Mary's like, who broke that? Well, we know Jesus didn't, right? He never got in trouble for anything, and they got in trouble for everything. So there was resentment, and then Jesus came out and started telling everybody, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm the Messiah, and, you know, and they're like, oh, dude, you, first of all, you've terrorized us our whole life. We are blamed for everything. Now you're telling. And what did his brothers think about him? He's crazy. You're crazy. In fact, they even taunted him later on and said, if you're really Messiah, go prove it. Go to the festival. Go to Jerusalem and go do miracles and prove it to everybody. They didn't believe he was a Messiah. They denied him. It, they, they never were for him in believing any of that. In fact, they were upset because he was hurting the family name and making the whole family seem like they were crazy. 
If, oh, God, there's that, there's, that, there's that dude, James, man. His brother's the crazy one who thinks he's the Messiah. There was a stigma. And then Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus didn't do anything about it. He just died. What do you think that did to James's faith? Do you think that enhanced it, and he, may, he now believed that Jesus was the Messiah? No, so he approved it. All right, glad that phase is over. So what did Jesus do after three days? He rose. Oh, my goodness. And guess who was one of the first people he appeared to? James. <laughs> Can you imagine James? Now, you put yourself in his place as the brother, denying it. Can you imagine all the tricks you played on your little, on your big brother, Jesus? You know, Jesus was the first one, right? Can you imagine all the tricks you played on him, all the things you did just to try to get back because of how miserable he made your life? Oh, look at you all acting pious. How many of y'all ever did things to your siblings? Yeah, you terrorized your siblings, haven't you? In different ways. How many of y'all know exactly how to terrorize your siblings? Yeah, God, I think, does that in our lives. That's another message. But all of a sudden, everything flooded back. He sees Jesus, and he's risen from the dead. And all of a sudden, it all comes back, and he had a faith that couldn't be shaken. Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, my goodness. I spent more time with him than the disciples spent with him. They only spent three years. I spent my entire life with him. And I watched him. And I listened to those messages. And Jesus probably only had really one message he preached over and over and over everywhere. And it was the Sermon on the Mount. And the crux of it was the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, it finally finished up with saying, hey, guys, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you'll need will be added up to you. That's the summary statement. And all of a sudden, it's flooded back. James like, okay, dude, now that I know this, man, I'm sold for life. And he actually became the pastor of the Jerusalem church that was there. And, and, and he was saying, look, here's the message. I saw it lived out. Here it is for you. And he preached it. And then Jerusalem, the Jews started getting scattered. And so his parishioners, the people that he pastored, were scattered all over the place. And, and he's writing this book to tell them, I want to see you all again. I'd love to see you in person, but I know you can't afford to come back from New Jersey because that's where your business is. You can't come back from California. You can't come. You know, you're all over the place. But I'm sending you this letter because I want to see you in heaven. I may not see you again in person, but I want to see you in heaven. Make sure you're saved. And that's what we've seen in this book. Every piece of this book is a test. You go through the book of James, and it's a test for your life. When you saw that person, what did you do? When you were put in the situation, what did you do? If you responded this way, there's a good chance you don't really, you're not really saved, and I'm not going to see you in heaven. But if you responded this way, there's a good chance you were. It's not a book that says, oh, start responding this way. It's a book that says, how did you respond? It's a test to see if you're saved. And this is no different. As we finish up James chapter 3, he's saying that this is a test of what wisdom you really apply in your life. Now, all of us are going to apply both wisdoms in our life sometime. But he said, if you walk out of here and see that this worldly wisdom is what you wholly and solely live by, you better think about your salvation. If you have the desires and the fruit to prove that you think like this godly wisdom that he's going to show us, then he says, that's pretty good evidence you're saved. And that's what it's all about. And if you're saved, but you kind of keep getting drugged back into this worldly wisdom, he said, man, I want you to see the results of it because you reap what you sow and start focusing back again on the godly wisdom. And that's the context in and, and the, the purpose of him writing this section here in chapter thir three, verse 13. Now, everybody's sowing something. You're sowing something right now. Sowing, for those of y'all don't know, man, it's not like with a needle and thread. It's how they planted things. They planted seeds. It was called, it's called sowing when you throw seeds out and plant them. And so everybody's planting something. If you're planting something, that means that you're going to have a harvest. That means you're growing something, right? And eventually you're going to have a what? A harvest. So whatever you're planting, it's not like, I'm not a farmer, I'm not planting. No, you're planting something right now. You are growing something right now. You're going to reap something in the future. So if you don't want cotton because it's not worth anything, don't plant cotton. Plant peanuts, plant hay. And for us, he says, plant righteousness, plant peace. So everybody's sowing something. Check this out in the verse, uh, the first uh, verse we're going to look at, verse 13. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? 
If I were to throw that out there, all right, let's put it, let's put it the other way. Okay, who is foolish and stupid out here? Raise your hand if you're foolish and stupid. Now, some of you might have some false humility and say, oh, I am. And then you're like, oh, no, you're not. And that's what you want to hear, right? You know people like that? Oh, I, oh, I'm so fat, or I'm so like this, I'm so... And you just want to hear somebody refute it, right? How many of y'all know somebody like that? And if they're next to you, don't put your elbow in their side, right? Yeah. There are those people. I, when I did paddleboard lessons or surf lessons, you know what so many people do is they disqualify themselves so that if they have any kind of success at all, then they have now, it's now a win. I'll get them and I'm like, all right, you got to sit up, put your hands at your chest, pop up, you know, oh, I have no balance. I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to do it. Now, I just, and I'm like, dude, I remember an Adidas t-shirt that said, you can or you can't, whatever you choose. And I always tell them that because I'm trying to encourage them. But I know that's their safety net. Their safety net, if I say I can't do it and then I happen to have any success, then I'm not a failure, right? That's no way to live, <laughs> okay? Because everybody knows your game, all right? So who is, who is like foolish and stupid and doesn't know anything among you? And it's like, I appreciate you guys raising your hand. And if you are in true, honest humility, which hopefully you are at the end of this message because you understand what that is, then that's good. But I know a lot of people are like, yeah, okay, so if I say I'm stupid and I don't understand anything, then if I understand anything, it's a win, right? I mean, they'll get that. You know people like that? How many are, are that? No, don't raise your hand. That's the way some people live. So, so James asked this question, okay? He asked the question. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? Hey, let me ask you a question. On Facebook, who is wise and understanding among you? Who knows everything and understands everything on Facebook? Everybody. How many experts are there? What, Terry and I, we were joking about a year ago, long, maybe even longer than that, about how people can research stuff on the internet, never do it, and now they're experts. WebMD, that's one of them, but there's a lot of them. They're, they're total experts because they've read on the internet everything that was there. So here's my point, and this is James's point in actually asking this question. Here's the question. Who here is really wise? Who has wisdom and who really understands life? And he asked that question because look at the parentheses here. I put parentheses today to kind of help me remember some different things and help you. And by the way, these, these outlines are on Facebook, on our page and my page. And then JJ puts them somewhere else. You'll have to ask him where he puts them. But it's hard to find a self-professed fool, isn't it? <laughs> Especially on internet right now, there's no, but everybody's an expert on something. So he's asking this question and now he's going to give you a test so that you can answer this yourself. If you are wise, what are you wise in? If you are understanding, what are you understanding in? You know, Zane, earlier this week, man, Zane came over and I'm like, dude, we're at the pool. My pool, man, Keone was like on the, we were getting shocked in the pool. It's kind of cool, but you touch, we knew where to stand so you could get the shot. You're like, oh, put your foot there. Oh. No, we weren't that bad, but it wasn't that bad. But it had a wire that was kind of eroded, and when that ground got wet, it conducted enough electricity where Keone, you could feel something, only in certain spots. It wasn't like a whole pool. It wasn't like shock therapy or anything, you know, but... But you can feel something. And so I dug it all up, and I dug it all up last Saturday, I remember, and, 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 and I thought I knew where everything was. I'm like, oh, yeah, that line goes over there. That must go to my pump. And this line here, I don't know where that goes, but they've been there forever. And I went through, and I took big cutters, and they didn't have insulation on them, did they? No. And I went, and, and they cut, nothing happened. I'm like, see, I'm right. But I ain't touching that one again because I already touched that, and I know what happens when you touch that one. Because I sprayed that black, you know, plastic stuff over, you know, until I get Zane to come over and help me do all this. Zane came over and he's like, that, 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 no, wait, what? You touched that? You cut that? You're alive? It's like, <laughs> like my wife says when I'm driving, it's got to be a guardian angel. But he's like, you cut those? What happened when you cut it? I said, nothing, man. I, and, and I made the comment to him. I said, it was a reasonable assumption by someone who doesn't know electricity. <laughs> that was, it was a reasonable assumption. These are 220 lines. 
I knew they were big. That's why I had big cutters. I probably should put some tape on them, right? But I said, that's a reasonable, I made a reasonable assumption by somebody who doesn't know electricity. He's lucky he didn't get shocked. And I was starting to study this and I was thinking how many reasonable assumptions people make about God who don't know God. And then they're shocked when the results come. Man's been speaking to me all week, and praise God that he didn't let me get shocked. Because <laughs> they, man, he finally like, I didn't even that good. This has nothing to do with your pump. That's all. Now we killed all the electric to all of that. And just as a monument, I have not buried it again. I'm just looking at it, praising God for what he did. <laughs> I still got a trench in my backyard where I dug it up. <laughs> but isn't that what... You've got to know what wisdom you have. We, we walk through life making reasonable assumptions on something that we have no idea about. And then it's electricity. You're lucky. When it, you wonder why you get shocked. <laughs> I wonder why the shock wasn't worse so that I could use this as an illustration. So he says, why, who is wise and understanding among you? And he goes on to say, look at this. I'm going to help you answer the question. He says, by your good what? Let him show or prove his work. The proof's in the pudding. You know? Zane, when he was over my house, he had some kind of little meter with two little things on I have one of those. I just don't know how to use it, obviously. Amen. I just don't know. <laughs> but, but Zane, because I'm like scared of this one little thing. I said, Zane, I got one more thing over here I'm worried about. I hear this humming when I'm in the, you know, and when I'm in the pool, only underwater when I got my ear next to the light. You know? And he's like... Okay, he took some little little dial, he, he stuck it there, and he stuck it there, and he's like, dude, there ain't no electricity here now. And he took it here and here, there ain't no electricity, and I'm like, prove it, and he touched it. <laughs> but he had something to prove it by. It wasn't just, he didn't prove it by touching it, by first experiencing it. And you know what, that little machine he had, that little, what's that thing called? A meter. A meter, yeah. <laughs> I think of myself as a meter. <laughs> I, eat, I eat meat, man. No. But, if, but, but the meter, dude, he, the meter that actually tested the voltage, not only tested to see if there was voltage there, but how much voltage was there. Now, I don't know if you can withstand certain amounts or not. I guess if there's any, you shouldn't probably touch it, right? But it, it told everything about it so that then now you could deal with it. That meter is our, the, our meter is the word of God. That's our meter that teaches us what we're supposed to do so now we can handle it. So it says, by your good conduct, let him prove his works. The proof's in the pudding, man, the rub where the rubber meets the road, whatever other little thing you want to put to it. But the bottom line is you can talk all you want, but your conduct, how you act, what you've done in this, the brother of Jesus says, is going to prove who you really are. He said, man, and you should show those works in meekness of wisdom. Meekness. We think oftentimes of meekness as being weakness, right? People talk about it. But meekness is actually power under control. In fact, the, the word has best been described, and it kind of came from a word talking about a big, powerful war horse. Anybody been around big, powerful horses? Anybody here like horses? Have horses? Deal with horses? Yeah. I already told you I'm scared of horses, man. I'd rather deal with bull sharks. And it was good dealing with bull sharks with you in the surf last week, Tom. And I still picture that one time I'm paddling out, and you dropped in, and I see you tucked in a little barrel, man. And all I could think of, and I told you that, that if I got squished up that much at my age right now, you'd have to unsquish me. <laughs> he was tucked in a little barrel, man. And there were some sharks out there and tarpon. We still shove kids in the waves, and we'll do it tomorrow. And everybody's got their digits, right? But let's get back to this. So this war horse, big, powerful war horse, it, 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 it's, it's powerful. It could do a lot of damage. But this big, powerful war horse is under control. And once it's under control with the bit, the reins, the saddle, with everything that it's got, once it's under control, now that power can be used for awesome things. That's what meekness is. Meekness is having awesome power, but having it under control. And who's it under the control of? God. In fact, meekness is a fruit of what? 
The spirit, it's a fruit of the spirit. Unless you're walking in the spirit, we tend to abuse our power that we have. We use it for us instead of for God. So he says, man, by your good works, by your good conduct, let, go ahead and prove your works in meekness with power under control of wisdom. And wisdom, somebody said knowledge is known how to take something apart. Wisdom is known how to put it back together so people can use it. Think about that. Knowledge is known how to take something apart. Wisdom is known how to put things back together so that someone can use it. By the way, that chainsaw I took apart and gave you in pieces, no, I'm messing with you. I've done that with Zane. Now I just call him and say, Zane, you want me to take this apart? He's like, no, leave it alone. I, anybody take something apart, anybody can learn the pieces of something, you know? Any one of you, all of your professions, everyone, I know, I know what most all of you guys do. Have you ever had somebody who wasn't, didn't know what they're doing mess up what you were doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's like, oh, well, I know this, I know this, I know this. And they go ahead and take something apart, and now you've got to put it back together and make it useful, right? You do that with the human body, don't you? And who is it that usually takes it apart and messes it all up? The human being themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. But so he says, man, by the right use of power and knowledge, using power and knowledge the right way under the control of God, he said, prove that you're actually wise in God's eyes, that you have godly wisdom instead of just worldly wisdom. So prove it. That's what he says, because everybody's playing something. So by your results of your life, what's going on in your life, that's the proof of which wisdom you have, whether it's worldly wisdom or it's godly wisdom. So he starts off with the negative end. And we're going to talk a little negative here. But please don't tune out. Don't fall out. Because it gets really positive in the next part. This is the part we all understand. And the next part's where we all want to be. And maybe we are. And we can get there. He said if you plant pride, you reap riots. <laughs> you plant pride, you reap riots. And you probably need to be saved. So think about this. If you plant pride, what, what are you going to harvest? Doesn't that sound a little extreme? Well, I've never really had a riot in my life. Well, ask your wife. Ask your kids. Ask your husband. Ask your employer. Ask your neighbors. I bet you've had a riot in your life. And, and more than what you think. But we, we try to underestimate how bad things We're like, no, it wasn't that bad. You plant pride, you reap riots. And you're going to see how this so fits into our society. And society is nothing more than a bunch of individuals. So if a bunch of individuals are living with worldly wisdom, this is what we have. You put them all together, you've got a riot. It's the same way in a church. Well, I don't really like that church. It's all made new. Well, guess what churches are made up of? People! You make up the church. <laughs> That's what makes it all up. So if you plant pride, you reap riots, and you probably need to be saved. So check this out. He said, but if you have bitter jealousy um, and selfish ambition in your hearts, he said, don't boast and be false to the truth. So let's go pick this apart a little bit. If you have bitter jealousy, now we could go and figure out, try to figure out what all that means, but I'm going to kind of tell you in the Greek, it, mean, it, it refers to somebody who's always raging. That's why he said, if it was just jealousy... It would it's also translated as envy, and it's somebody who inside is always trying to prove they're right. Okay? Inside, their motivation is, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. I hate being wrong. How many of y'all hate being wrong? You know? And we even change the perspective of things so that we can feel like we're right. You know, that's like a physiological thing, right? Um, help me out with this. Uh, there's like, I think, four things, uh, chemicals your brain produces, the feel-good chemicals. And, and I think the one when you actually are right, when you feel like you're right, whether you're right or not, but you think you're right. I mean, no people like that. They don't have to be right. They just got to think they're right. I think that's serotonin. Yeah. Is that the serotonin one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's either that or dopamine. I know people addicted to both of those, all right? They live for both of those. They eat food so they can. But, but that serotonin, make, it, 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 it's a happy thing when you feel like you're right. Do you have to be right to actually produce serotonin? No. no. In fact, there's people who are totally wrong. But, dude, on the Internet, they are right because, you know, they just X out all the comments that were against them. But so it makes us feel good to be right. Does anybody feel good when you're wrong all the time? 
No, we like to feel like we're right. And it literally does feel good. And so this is somebody, this is worldly wisdom. This isn't the wisdom from above. This is the wisdom that comes from this world. And it's about proving that you're right. And it doesn't have to be an external thing because look at what he says. He said, you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Where? In your what? Yeah. So you might be one of the passive aggressive people. One of the people are like, ooh, I don't ever cause trouble. But in your heart, it's internal. You think everybody else is an idiot and if they don't see it your way. And you don't really tell everybody that. But we see it. We know how you look at us. Just because we are vocal and tell everybody how we feel, give people peace of our mind we can't afford to give. But there's people, again, it starts in your heart. It all starts at what comes out of your mouth, what's in your what? We learned that last week. Your heart. You don't like what's coming out of your mouth, put something different in your heart. You don't like the crop that you're producing, you're harvesting. Man, start planting some different seeds. But the world wisdom, whether you do it externally or internally, it starts with this jealousy. He said, these are just a couple of functions or a couple of features of this worldly wisdom. It's, it's I'm right, and everybody who doesn't see it my way is wrong. Most of the time. All right, I'll concede on a few little things, but, dude, I'm right, and they're wrong. Whether you do it externally. Now, this word bitter you know this word bitter, why James added that word bitter to it? Because when you feel this way, you really get upset about the fact. It really irks you. It eats you. It, it, it eats you from the inside out when people don't understand that you're right and they're wrong. Man, how many of y'all would be honest and say you have personally felt this in your own self at least once in your lifetime? Dude, understand what God has done. When you feel that, when you see that, you got to realize, dude, I'm living by the wrong wisdom. I'm planting the wrong seeds. And I'm going to harvest the wrong crop. And as soon as you start feeling that way, you got to stop. And, and good news, the next section tells you instead what to do. But understand, this is going to help us recognize this worldly wisdom. If you have this bitter jealousy always raging inside to prove you're right. And everybody who feels the other way is wrong, man. And selfish ambition. Always promoting yourself. Even if, again, it's an internal thing. You know? Well, if I don't love me, I can't love everyone. <laughs> Dude, your self-esteem is not found in what you do and who you are. It's found in Christ. You understand if you're born again, you are a child of the king. That is worth more than anything you could ever muster up in your human body and in your human mind and your human production. You are of value because God thought you were value and he saved you. That's where your value comes from. But if you're always proving inside, you've always got this thing where I've got to be right. I hate being wrong. And, 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 or, or I, and if you hate being wrong, then you hate admitting what? That you're wrong. Anybody ever know people that can't admit that they're wrong? And if you can't admit you're wrong, then you can't do what? You can't fix the fact that you're wrong. And again, I'm not pointing the finger anywhere here, but to me, and when I see this going on in my life, I've got to understand the proofs of the pudding. This is the, this is the worldly wisdom that I'm living by, and I've got to get it changed. Because I don't like the crop that he says I'm going to harvest in the end of this. Selfish ambition, always promoting yourself. In other words, I've got to always promote myself, promote myself. And in fact, I put politician there because the original word in the Greek kind of came from uh, somebody who, who twisted up, you know, kind of fibers to make thread, to make yarn. And then they would sell it for their own personal gain. Then they came, it started being people who wove the fibers together. And then they would sell the, the fabric for their personal gain. And then it became known, it just flat out became politicians. This is back in the days, back in Jesus' day. Politicians, somebody's going to run for office, who are they going to promote? And they promote themselves, right? You make signs with your name on it, your face on it. You get billboards. You tell, you take out commercials. Tell everybody. And so what politicians do, I'm not saying that's wrong. But I am saying that's where this word comes from. 
Their whole purpose in life is to prove their right and promote themselves. And if you ever find yourself in that boat, man, understand the, where that wisdom's coming from. It's not coming from God. He says, um, he said, he said, but if you have bitter jealousy, always raging to prove your right and selfish ambition, always promoting yourself like politician. And if it's in your heart, he says this, he said, don't boast and brag and be false to the truth. So what he means here is he says, if this is who you are, he said, don't boast and tell everybody you're a believer. Don't tell your, everybody you're a Christian because the truth is that a Christian is not always raging to prove themselves are right. They're not always promoting themselves. In fact, a Christian is trying to prove who is right. God is right. And who are they trying to promote? God. And so he says, if this is truly your lifestyle, he said, dude, if this really is you 90% of the time, he didn't say 90%. I'm not saying, you know, we might be 50-50, but, you know, you've got some slip-ups, you've got some bad seasons. It doesn't mean you lost your salvation or anything like that. People take that out of the book of James. But if this is truly your lifestyle, he said, don't lie to yourself or others and call yourself a Christian. This is totally opposite what Christianity is all about. This, has, this is not Christianity. It doesn't represent Christianity. Now, I'm saying, not saying if you have a business, you can't advertise. That's not what I'm, you know what I mean in this. If this is what's in your heart, you can't stand ever being wrong. You've got to fight because it's burning in you that I've got to be right. And, and it's all about promoting you, even if you're promoting others, to promote you. He said, man, if that's who you really are, James is like, guys, I don't, I'd like to see you again, but I really want to see you in heaven. And if that's who you really are, uh, don't lie to yourself and don't lie to others that you're a believer because you are totally living opposite of the truth. Don't boast and be false to the truth. That's what that means. Realize you're lost and realize you don't want to be that way and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. Let him take over. He changes you. How many of y'all got changed when you got saved? If you didn't get changed, you didn't get saved. I'm just saying. There's an outward result. We've already seen that in the book of James. You want a different harvest. You've got to plant a different what? Yeah. And God's got to plant that in you. Because this is the natural crop. This is not hard to grow. I bet if I were to ask my son, hey, hey, uh, God, they have all so many different kinds of weeds. Smut grass. That's what I'm hearing. It's called smut grass. We have it here. And any, any rancher you talk to will tell you smut grass and Caribbean soda apples. Man, these Caribbean soda apples. We're spending all our money trying to get rid of all these things. Well, how hard is it to grow that? It's easy. It grows on its own. But when the animals eat the smut grass, they fill up, but they have no nutrients. The Caribbean soda apples, man, they take over. They've got thorns, and they've got these little soda apples out in the pasture. And what they do, and they've got thorns, and, and they, take, they take the shade. They make shade where grass can't grow. How hard is it to grow the Caribbean soda apples and smut grass? It grows volunteer. How hard is it to grow this worldly wisdom? How many of y'all went, well, we did go to school to learn this, didn't we? I have an accounting degree, believe it or not. Oh, <laughs> I have a business degree and, and majored in accounting. Can you imagine? And I just thought I was going to need to manage all that money I'd make as a pro baseball player. But by sophomore year, I found out that wasn't going to work. So I completed the most masochistic thing I ever did in my life. Can you imagine if I was an accountant? <laughs> I'd be in prison because I would have been a postal worker on somebody by now. <laughs> it was stupid, but I was taught this. Weren't we all taught this in business, in, in our college? Because this is worldly wisdom. Prove that you're right. That's what marketing's about. That product's no good. This one is. I'm better than this person. You're proving you're right. And I'm going to spend all my effort and energy proving that I'm right so you will use me. And I have selfish ambition because if I'm not going to promote myself, then why am I even doing it? <laughs> <coughs> God has a different way of doing things. And it's not the way we were taught in college. It's not the way we're taught in this world. And he gives us this next way. Well, first of all, he says, this wisdom, the one I just described to you, is not the wisdom that comes down from above. 
He said, but this wisdom where we promote ourselves and prove we're right all the time, it is what? Keep going. And ooh. So I have a degree in earthly, unspiritual, and demonic <laughs> wisdom <laughs> until I was born again. So check this out. There's three enemies to the believer. In this, there's three enemies. We have three enemies. We always think, well, the devil's the enemy. And anything going bad, any attacks, any anything, we usually blame the devil, right? Don't we? I'm under attack. I've been, you know, and let's get rid of the devil, you know, cast him out, do this, whatever. And, and we blame the devil for a lot of stuff. You know what my take on this is? I think it's our other two enemies that get in the way a lot. I think we do a lot of blaming the devil, and the devil's back here saying, I ain't having to do anything. This guy's doing it all to himself, and I get the credit. And, and, and besides, we blame the devil. It's not my fault. It's the devil's fault, and I'm good until I get delivered. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, and when I get delivered, then I won't have to worry about the devil. And that's modern theology. When I think there's other issues. Look what he said. He said, it is, this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We have three enemies in the world right now for believers. We have the devil, but we have our flesh. We have our own flesh. That's why that we're born with, and that flesh wants to please who? Who does the flesh want to please? Ourselves. Even if we are, you know, smoozing with other, even if we're, you know, we're, we're being nice, we're, we're whining and dining, we're doing all these things with other people, who is it for the benefit of? Ourselves. You know, you catch more flies with sugar than you do with vinegar. And there's some other things you catch them with, I think I said last week. But, you know, by being sweet, being kind, you learn, yeah, you know, that, that gets me a lot further than by, by being nasty, right? But we're still, we're doing it for ourselves. So our flesh desires to please us. That's why, that's what we're born with. That's why we need to be born what? According to Nicodemus, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, we need to be born what? Again. Again. Spiritual. So that now we have a desire for God and to do it for God and to worship him and to do it because we love him. So we have the flesh as an enemy that seeks to please itself. I think that's the main culprit in us. We have to crucify the flesh, Paul says, so that we can live in the spirit. We're either walking in the flesh or we're walking in the spirit. One of the two. You can't do them both. He said, if you walk in the spirit, there's no way possible to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You can't do them both. So we have the flesh, and then he says earthly. Look at this. That's this world system we live in. How many of you think the world system that we live in, I just talked about my college education and yours. I just, we talked about what's being taught on TV. We talked about what's being promoted. The world system, how many of y'all believe the world system is God's system? No. It's totally contrary to his system. That's why after the rapture, when we go up and we have seven years, I am pre-trib, and for those of you who are mid-trib, you got three and a half, it's all good. <laughs> Any turning ain't gonna matter, but we're gonna go up. We're gonna have our marriage with Christ there while the, war, the world's gonna experience the worst seven years of its life, its ever experienced. And many people are gonna give their life to Christ during that time, but many people are gonna turn more bitter and hateful towards God during that time. And, and, and then at the very end, Jesus is coming back and he's going to chain the devil and throw him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then we're going to have a millennial kingdom where for a thousand years we're going to have what Israel was hoping Jesus would have done his first trip here. We're going to have where the lion lays down with the lamb. You're going to be able to lay down with a rattlesnake. How many of y'all look forward to that? Not being bit. I'm just saying, man, it's going to be, everything's going to be all good for a thousand years and he's going to be here. And the humans that come out of the tribulation period are going to start populating them. Not us. We're, we're going to be born. We're born again. We're going to have glorified bodies. Chris, we're going to have, dude, and, and Tom, whoever else wants Tom, we're all, I just picture that we're going to be on Dawn Patrol, man. We're going to have glorified bodies, so I won't be telling you, yeah, you should be able to surf like that. No, you know, like you could, man. No, you know, we'll be able to transport. Go to Maui and go, go to go to Pipeline and check it out today. That's yours, bud. Hey, go. You want to go to Indo today? Go ahead, check it all out and serve me there. You know, we're going to be worshiping and serving Him in our glorified bodies. But the people who are here from the tribulation period that get saved, that aren't tainted, they will now, as humans, populate. They will start the population in this thousand-year reign. 
And by the time it's all over, without the devil there, they are going to turn against God. You don't need a devil to turn against God. All you need is your flesh. Because your flesh wants what you want. And so he looses the devil for a moment. He turns all those people from the four corners of the earth on the people of God. And then he squashes them. And then he has the great white throne of judgment. And then we go to final heaven and final hell. And it, it will be there forever. But my point is, is our flesh is so powerful. We don't need the devil to make us do wrong. We can do it all on our own. So we have three enemies. You have this earthly system that promotes what our flesh wants, which is the other one. And then you've got the devil. Those are our three enemies. And look who he gives credit to this wisdom. Who he gives credit to the wisdom to. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are our three enemies that are running the earthly wisdom. Is it any wonder why we fall into it so easy? We're built for it in our first birth. That's why we need to be born what? And guess what? And when you translate that born again, that word means born from above. <laughs> Same here. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. That's why you need to be born from above so that you can have different wisdom. It's real easy to grow this kind of smut grass, this kind of soda apple. It's really easy for us to do what this wisdom is. But you're not going to like the crop. He goes on. He Look where he says. He says where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder. When I looked up this word disorder, this is why I put the parentheses here for this word in itself. Because how many of y'all would say right now you are seeing a level of disorder in humanity that you have never seen? Which, yeah, it's crazy. And if you focus on it from the human perspective, you can be afraid and you can be crazy. But if you see it from God's perspective, you see, wow, I know why that's happening. Oh, man, I got some serotonin because I'm right. No, I'm just joking. But, but literally, you see it and you're like, oh, my goodness, there the word of God is true. And that word disorder, look what it means. It means instability. It means can, how stable is this world right now? Do you guys have any idea what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow? How many of y'all are like, yeah, dude, I cannot predict the future now. Who would have thought, Karen, who would have thought you would have woke up and this past week would have been the Stuart Bridge being shut down and the Coast Guard saying, it is imminent. It is going to, what did they say? It is imminent that it's going to fall and crash and kill millions of people. I mean, that's what it kind of looked like on the headlines to me. It's imminent. I'm not going on it. <laughs> and then I saw a picture yesterday. Some guys were painting the crack. It was like, I don't know if they fixed it or not. They're painting it. It's like, it wouldn't put it past me in this world. The steward council goes, oh, yeah, let's uh, yeah, put a little, little Play-Doh in there, man. And let's paint it, and it's good. We're good. Don't worry about what the Coast Guard says. <laughs> this world's unstable. It is unstable. There is more instability than anything. And we're supposed to look up. Confusion. How about confused people? How many of y'all have been confused once or twice in the last few months? Yeah. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? If the mask works, then, oh my goodness, then, and again, I'm not for or against or whatever, please, whatever you feel comfortable doing, do it. But if, if, if the mask is protect, if I'm telling the mask to protect me, I really shouldn't care what you wear. <laughs> Because if it's protecting me, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. But if it's protecting you, then it's not protecting me because the mask, according to OSHA, can't do both. <gasps> and the cloth mask we're wearing, oh my goodness, I've read so many articles. It doesn't protect it going out of our hand. It's just something that's going to give me a rash on my face. <laughs> I'm confused. I don't know what to, I truly don't. I'm not making fun of the situation, please. I sort of am, but <laughs> I don't understand. Is there anybody else that doesn't understand? Gloves. Dude, now we know now not, but oh my goodness, how many of y'all, you know, when I went to the emergency room for my kidney stones, girl said, do not mercy room there, do not wear gloves. People are contaminating the world with gloves. We put gloves on, touch one thing, take them off. They're touching everything. And then they take them off and touch everything they touched. And, oh! <laughs> I'm thinking a middle school, uh, uh, elementary, third, uh, a class of third grader can take out the world with their lack of sanitation. If I listen to what everybody does, I say, I don't know. I don't know. How many of y'all are right there with me? Yeah, that's why you're here. And that's why you guys are there. <laughs> we're where we think we're supposed to be. I don't know. I'm not making fun. I, I don't know. 
I'm telling you, I'm honestly confused, and I'm really just trying to do what God's telling me to do. This world's full of instability, confusion, rebellion. And look at this. And what's and what every what? Every, every. What does every mean? All-inclusive, meaning you turn on the news and you're like, dang, never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Oh, my goodness. What? Chick-fil-A said it's okay to burn buildings? All right. I'm just, again, I'm confused. I'm not taking sides on any of all of this, but there's confusion. And how many of y'all would say there's rebellion going on in every vile practice? Every evil practice, there are things going on we never dreamed. And then there's people supporting and going again. We just don't know. It's crazy. But you see, that's the harvest. That is the harvest of going with natural wisdom where it's about promoting you. That's what the natural harvest is. And proving you're right. When it's all about you proving you're right and promoting you, whether you're a Christian or not, you're sowing those seeds. Even if you're sowing a bunch of Christian seeds, but you're sowing a few of these, guess what? You're going to have a little patch in your garden that's going to grow this as the crop. How many of y'all want some of this in your crop? How many want to see this sprout up in your own home? You want to see it sprout up in your own business? you got enough people planting those seeds. Man, we as believers got to plant different seeds. That's why we're left here, is to plant a different seed. Everybody and anybody can plant it. The last people in the world to plant these seeds is supposed to be us. Amen? Amen. It's a, we're different. We have a different job. This doesn't represent God. Look at this next part. He said, if you plant peace, you reap what? Righteousness. And you probably are saved. If that other... Place, if that other kind of wisdom is really who you are, you better think about your salvation. I'm not your judge, but I'm just telling you what the Word of God says and what James's purpose was in it. Now, I'm not saying we don't have our moments. We've all had our moments in that wisdom. But if that is all the wisdom you got, you better check your salvation. This is what salvation and saved wisdom looks like. And this is according to James, who spent more time with Jesus than probably anybody on this planet. But the wisdom from above is first what? Don't miss this. Because people miss this and then they'll look at peaceable, gentle, read. Oh, so we, we have peace at all costs. Let's compromise everything we believe as believers so that we can have peace. That's not what he's saying. You can't compromise the principles of Christianity. You can't compromise the, the biblical standards that God has set up. Because it's first what? What is what? Pure, it's pure. Pure means it's not diluted. You know, pure is like, is like a MAF espresso or Cuban coffee. Who's ever ordered Cuban coffee and you get a little cup and the first time you get it, like, hey, what's this? You know what I'm talking about, right? Cuban coffee? And you take it and it's like, woo, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah, how many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's pure. That's the pure word of God, that Cuban coffee, man, right there. You know what the world, you know what happens when we dilute it? You get a Frappuccino. You get it from Starbucks. <laughs> it's crappy coffee. They put sugar and cream and flavors in. So you don't even taste the coffee anymore. But you got coffee from a coffee shop. Again, you want to go there and do that, that's good. But that ain't coffee. I'm just I'm messing with you. But look what he said. I want to try to make a point here. And, and again, my daughter, she goes to, to Starbucks. She like, it's all good, man. It's all good, but actually, that's not coffee. Let me make you some, I'll make you coffee. Emily, even though she worked at a coffee shop, says, yeah, Starbucks gets away making the crappiest coffee because they put everything in it and you don't taste it. But he says this wisdom from above is first what? Dude, it's a shot of Cuban coffee, dude. That's what it is. They're not mad. They just have to go to work. <laughs> we, we talk ahead of time. They're not, I didn't just like, they're not like Starbucks, you know. <laughs> and they know we're even talking about them now. I'll tell them later. All right, but look, man, he said it's pure. You can't, once you make it diluted or you make it not pure, it's no longer the wisdom of God. So it's not like, oh, we're supposed to love everybody. And we are. But that doesn't mean I have to accept your standards that are contrary to the word of God. 
I'm not diluting the word of God because now I don't have pure. I got some worldly, ungodly Starbucks Frappuccino as opposed to my, I'll stop using that reference, but literally it's not pure anymore. But isn't that what the world's trying to do? You know why? Because, and I don't know when this is going to happen. If Jesus isn't coming back right now, this is a dry run for it. And you ain't seen nothing yet. You think things are crazy now? Wait. I don't know when he's coming back, but it's going to get crazier and crazier, like birth pains. They're going to get closer together and more powerful. See what you had to look forward to, Ashley? Now aren't you glad I'm praying she's in the right direction? But I'm just saying, it's going to get worse. Man, he says, I don't even know where I was going with that. I forget now, but <laughs> the wisdom from above is first pure. It, you can't compromise what God, you can't compromise God. Oh, I know what I was going to say. In that tribulation period, for the Antichrist to come back. Middle wedge, you had to pull it. All right. For Christ to come back, do you understand that the devil is an omniscient, so he always got an Antichrist in his back pocket? Oh, Hitler wants the Pope is Obama, oh, Trump. We don't know. And it's not important because we're not going to be around. Except you mid trippers will be around for three years of it. But the, the point is, is that. He's got an Antichrist ready, and during that time, there's going to be a one-world government. Boy, I don't know if we can see that happening or not, but there's going to be a one-world government. There's going to be a one-world economy, and there's going to be a one-world religion. Now, this is not just something I'm making up. You can go study Daniel, book of Revelation, study prophecy, and it's plain. Everybody agrees on these three things. When he comes, the Antichrist comes, he's going to have those three things. So right now, I think... If the world can water our Christianity down to what everybody believes and all the religions can come together and throw away the standards of biblical Christianity and come with what we all agree and toss everything else out, we have a one world what? Religion. We may have to die for our faith. If I don't have to die for my faith, you guys may have to. Your generation may have to die for your faith. If your generation doesn't have to die for your faith, that generation right there, well, if that one doesn't, then that one inside Ashley does. It's going to happen if you stay true to what God's asking you to stay true to. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Don't lose that. It's pure. It's not diluted. And so not diluted, it's now going to be peaceable. You know what peaceful means? And by the way, if you go back and look at all of what this is, it goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. It goes back to the Beatitudes. Go trace them all back to the Beatitudes. It's peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker is? Someone doesn't start a fight. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Do you really need to fight that person for that? Is that issue that important that you really need to fight? You need to pick and choose your battles. How many of y'all learned that one parenting? <laughs> you know? You don't go around starting fights. Your purpose in doing things is restoration. Your purpose is, as an ambassador to Christ, is to bring them to who? To Christ. Not beat them up with the Bible. Not beat somebody up and prove you're right. Not beat them up and promote yourself because you're right. Because that's that other wisdom, even though you're using religion to do it. It's to help them have peace with God. Get them to quit fighting with God. Show them that Jesus Christ has reconciled them. Gentle. Man, gentle. This is a hard word from the Greek to translate in, the, in English. But the best definition I really saw was humbly patient. Man, next time you're not being gentle, I think you'll know it, don't you? Don't you know you're not being gentle? You're being a little rough? Be humbly patient. Humble is realizing who you are in the sight of a holy God. And patient is really taking all the time that's necessary to accomplish the purpose. And the purpose is to bring people to Christ, to show them what a kingdom child looks like. Humbly patient. Be as patient with others as God is with you. Yeah. Not as he was with you. Now you're perfect. All right, you don't have to be patient at all, right? No. How many of y'all know God's still very patient with you? Yeah, I'm looking at you. I know he is. <laughs> and he's even more patient with me. Humbly patient, treating others better than we want to be treated. Look at this next part, open to reason. Hmm. If you're always proving you're right, are you open to reason? Are you open to any other suggestion? Is it, is it my way or the highway? And you know what? This means compliant, knowing God is in control. Oh, I wish I could preach on this. 
Because so often, this is the way it's got to happen. This is what's got to go down. This is the steps. And I'm not complaining because this is not what I'm comfortable with. When in reality, someone who knows everything, can do anything, and who's everywhere, which is God, is orchestrating it all, maybe to show you a better way. How many of y'all say some good stuff's come out of this corona stuff? Come, come, yeah. There's good stuff that's come out of some of this. But if you're not compliant, truly trusting that God is in control. I'm not asking you to compromise your godly standards. I'm not asking you to violate scripture. He didn't ask us to be compliant when we're not. He didn't say be compliant when they're causing you to go against me. That's not what he says. That's when we do have to take a stand. But most of the time, we'd like to blame it on that. But it's just open to reason. It's, okay, God, this is what you set up. I'm going to follow this path and see what happens. Dude, we've seen some good stuff come. Full of mercy. Look at this, man. Helping those who hurt you. Let's start with that one. Woo. A lot of times I want to stay as far away from them as possible. But, but the, that's the earthly wisdom. But godly wisdom says, if God brought that person in your path who hurt you, man, what, what can you do to help? And I'm not saying you got to invite them back in to beat you, get invited back in to abuse you or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But you at least have to say, God, what should I do? Not just write it off. But for the purpose of reconciliation, see what maybe can happen through a kingdom child trying to bring someone else back into the kingdom and especially having kingdom children together. Or how about like the Good Samaritan helping someone who can't help you back? Just doing it. The world says, that ain't worth my time. It ain't worth my effort. I can't afford to do that. I don't have enough resources. God says, do it. I got all the resources. See what I can do for you. I just want you to be obedient. And again, you can take this list and go further, and you can dig into it much further. It's already after 11, and I, I, you know, not that I'm all that concerned about that, but <laughs> I know your attention spans are only so much because I couldn't sit as long as you guys. If you need to stand up right now because your butt fell asleep, do it. All right. Nothing like pins and needles, bro. I'm just seriously. All right. So look what he says. He says, full of mercy, helping those who hurt you or can't help you. Does the world tell us to do that? No, God does. Good fruits. Fruits of what? The Spirit. You have to walk with Him. Love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness. Self. That's it. Everything's good. No. That's in everything impartial and we already studied this with James that's without favoritism impartial that's realizing that every human being is created in the image of God we started talking about that last week and again we don't have time to go in more but every single person you encounter has the capability of representing God but sin gets in the way wouldn't it be awesome if God wants to use you to help them get some sin out of the way so they can represent God and every person who is born again, will, like we need each other to help each other represent God. That's why we have to help each other see life from God's perspective. And so he says, man, you know what? You're going to be impartial. Whether you like them, don't like them. Whether you get along with them or agree with them, whether whatever, bottom line is they're made in the image of God. And look at this last one, sincere. That means without hypocrisy. And a hypocrite in, in Greek theater was basically had one actor. It was a guy. And he had a wall. And behind the wall, what do you think was behind the wall? What's the, the logo for thespians? Yeah. Two masks, right? So if he went back there and he was going to play the girl, he'd put a girl mask on and say, oh, hey, hey, what's up? And he would then go back, and if he was going to be a lion, he'd put a lion mask on and say, rawr, you know? And then he'd come back, and he would change masks. And every time he came out front, he was somebody different. And that's the word we get hypocrisy from. And you know what? We should not be putting on masks. We should simply be representing Christ. And look what he says. This is the end of it. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He said, you want to read peace? How many of y'all would love to see peace in this world? How many of y'all would love to see harmony in this world? You'd love to get away from the confusion and the, and the rioting and the troubles and everybody at each other. How many of you love to see that happen? Guess what you can do? You go plow your own little field and you start planting the stuff that in the field where God has given you. You start planting this peace. You start being that second list as opposed to the first list. And guess what? Even in your own little world, you're going to see you make a difference. 
a revivalist back at the turn of the century, a British dude. He said, you want to see revival? Everybody's like, we want revival. But you know what revival means to us? As soon as this guy gets right with God, we'll have revival. As soon as she stops being a, a mean to me, as soon as that person does, you know, we want revival and everybody else. But he said, you know what you need to do? Draw a circle around yourself. Get on your face before God. When there's revival in that circle, there'll be revival in your life. It starts with you. So look at this, the harvest. The harvest is a combination. It's a cycle. First, you take a seed and you plant it. And then the fruit grows. And then you take the fruit and you can enjoy the fruit, but what do you redo with the seeds? You plant them again. And then the seed grows, because if you replant the seed, it grows. Now you have fruit and you get to eat it again. You plant some seeds and you see the cycle. What God is saying in this last verse is he's saying that you want to see a change? Start growing a different crop. Be part of the cycle. With everyone you meet, try to help them see life from God's perspective. If they're not born again, let them see what it looks like in you. If they are born again, let them see what it looks like in you. We help each other see life from God's perspective. And we give all the honor, all the praise, all the promotion, everything to him because he's responsible. We point people to Christ as opposed to ourselves and us being right. So he says, man, there's your harvest. In a, in a nutshell, you reap what you sow and everybody's sowing something. If you plant pride, you reap riots. And you probably need to be saved if that's what you're always planting. If you plant peace, you reap righteousness. And you're probably saved if that's what you're planting. That's good news, James is saying. But keep planting. And if you want a different harvest, you have to plant a different one. So my question is, which crop characterizes you? during this crazy time we live in. What are you planting wherever you grow? And that's what God wanted me to share with you all this morning. After he's been sharing with me all week. After I made some logical assumptions <laughs> about electricity and didn't know much about electricity. And we made some logical assumptions about this world without really knowing what God says, but now we know what he says. And so we can tell where we're at. And again, Start looking at your actions, hold each other accountable, and ask yourself and ask each other, which crop characterizes me with whatever craziness happens tomorrow? Anybody want to take bets and guesses on what's going to happen tomorrow? How about you, man? You, you, just a guess? You, you can't even come up with it, right? The river will be sucked dry from... <laughs> what? No beach day Monday, the ocean's gone. You know, what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. But I don't have to. I just follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, taking care of us. Father, thank you for giving us this piece of scripture. And Father, um, I pray that uh, if there's somebody here that knows they need to get saved, they know that they've got nothing but worldly wisdom, I pray they'd see the crop they're going to harvest at some point and want a different crop. Um, Father, for all of us that are believers, I pray that we would see areas of our life where we are planting that crop of worldly wisdom and we don't want to harvest the discord that it's going to cause. So, Father, will you cause us to repent? Father, we cause us to rejoice in the fact that we are saved and that from the inside out, you've given us a desire we can't refuse to most of the time use your wisdom. Help us to be more gentle. Help us to be more kind. Help us to be more loving. Help us bring people to you through our lifestyle. And people want to know why we're different. And we can tell them it's you and invite them to be part of that. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.